0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from the Holy Trinity. Amen. Amen. So as, as I was thinking about Jesus' words to sell everything, give the money to the poor, and follow him, I thought to myself, well, it's a good thing I'm in Urban Servant Corps, where a major tenet of the program is simplicity. I don't have anything I could sell, so Jesus obviously really likes me, and I'm definitely getting into heaven. And for those people in the congregation who don't make only $75 a month like I do, well, then I'll just reiterate the words of Jesus to go sell everything and give the money to the poor or the church. There we go. Sermon done. But then an ad campaign popped up on my Facebook newsfeed. It was a series of first world problems. Problems like, when my mint gum makes my ice water taste too cold. And I hate it when my neighbors block their Wi-Fi. <laughs> and I hate it when, they tell, when I tell them no pickles, and they still give me pickles. <laughs> All of these are funny when we tweet them, but they're not quite as funny when, like in this ad campaign, they're read by Haitians who don't have easy access to clean water, let alone ice water. And then my first thought was, Well, I guess I'm not getting into heaven now. Even though urban servant corps means relative poverty for the year, $75 a month and $60 a month for food, I still have ice water and an iPad and a heated house. Things that I'm not particularly keen on giving up to follow Jesus because I'm really content with my lifestyle, which puts me pretty much in the same place as the rich man who comes to Jesus seeking justification for his piety and hoping that Jesus would just kind of ignore the financial part of his life. I, being confronted with my possessions by a YouTube video, had to rethink what Jesus' words to that yuppie really meant. A few years back, the New York Times had a series of articles they published into a book called Class Matters. It's primarily a book about class and social difference and the gap which exists within American culture. And it's about the American dream, a notion that's distinctly American in nature. I mean, when was the last time you heard about the Chilean dream? I've been pretty obsessed with the concept of the American dream since college when I took a class that scrutinized American idealism and looked into the gap created between the ideal of the American dream and the reality of life in this country. We considered that the pursuit of happiness and climbing up the ladder and... Pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and making something of yourself all sound like really nice things to be able to achieve, and these ideas may very well be what gives people hope during economic recessions and draws millions of immigrants to our shores and gives small-town kids big-city dreams, only we've come to realize that the so-called American dream is never really attainable. Since once a new level of financial or material security is reached, if it's even possible at all, it's time to just hop on up to the next one. And we can end up sacrificing part of ourselves to get there. Working longer hours, getting another credit card, trading in the old promises of the iPhone 4 for the new promises of the iPhone 5. (laughs) We end up in a cycle of trying to trade up, sometimes not even knowing how or why we got there in the first place. I get it. The new iPad calls my name. Buying clothes at the Gap instead of at Buffalo Exchange makes me feel good when I'm carrying that blue bag around the mall. Taking out another student loan so I can go to Ikea and buy a sofa. These things are all daily temptations that just feed my vanity. Even if the American dream isn't real, and even if we know we can't attain that sort of made-up ideal, it's nice to feel comfortable and to want a future and to make sure that the kids can go to college. And then Jesus comes along talking about camels and needles and giving up your fields, which generally makes people who have any money or means or electricity feel incredibly uncomfortable. And feeling uncomfortable is not particularly good news, nor is it what I think Jesus is really getting at in this story. He starts out with a discussion of the commandments, which the rich man has kept to a T., That guy's pretty proud of that, and he strokes his ego by telling Jesus what all he's done and what all he's accomplished. He's done and said everything he's supposed to do and say. This guy had fallen for the dream of something better from what he did, the same dream we like to fall for. It doesn't particularly matter whether what we do is materialistic or altruistic. Neither one of those things will help us experience a future or a present with God now, I don't want to imply that doing things is bad or wrong. I'm all about Operation Turkey Sandwich and giving money through offerings to the Lutheran Malaria Campaign and giving away food from the community garden to those people who don't have access to fresh vegetables. Those all are great, but they won't exactly help us, help us earn anything in God's economy. They won't exactly help us get the grace of God any faster than anybody else. Because God's grace does not come on our schedule or through our actions. See, when we read the story of the rich man and the camels and the needles, it's easy to skip over something small, but something that entirely changes the story, in my view. Before Jesus tells the man to do anything, before the man runs away crying because he's afraid of giving up his 401k, before any of that, Mark tells us that Jesus loved the man. God's love for us isn't something we get after we do the right thing. The grace of God, the mercy that God has for us when we went to look into the mirrors of our own lives and congratulate ourselves instead of looking past, those, or past that to those around us, that's what Jesus showed the man, and that's what God shows us. For God, the eternal and unending gift of love means that we don't need to be afraid of not doing enough or thinking the right things, or not selling enough of our possessions. For God, loving us means that our self-righteousness about our work and how we're changing the world doesn't matter. For God, the very act of loving us is more important than whether we give 20% of our salary to the poor or whether we give nothing. Mark tells us that Jesus loved the man before anything else. And I wonder if that guy felt that or if he, like us, was taken aback by Jesus' command so much that he wouldn't let himself feel the unending and unfaltering love of Christ in his life. Jesus shows the man by loving him that God is not some angry parent who just wants to take our toys away so we'll behave and be good. Instead, we see that those things that we put our trust in, security, wealth, Twitter, can't love us like God can. God's desire for us is to be free of that stuff that we trust in more than God, and to simply experience God's love. It's easy to get so caught up in ourselves that we don't see God's love in our lives. And Jesus today reminds us that before anything else, God shows us love. God shows us love in those gathered around us in work and in worship. God shows love to us through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, reminding us of the resurrection we experience daily. God shows us love in God's very presence in bread and wine, which we eat and drink together. God's love in every way we experience it, through people, through nature, through sacraments, surrounds us always. God's love shown through Jesus' love to the rich man means our vanity and our attempt to one-up our neighbors, our busyness, doesn't matter. For nothing can compare to the love of God shown to us through Christ Jesus. Amen.